This podcast is sponsored by Frog Eyes Incorporated. Need ingredients for your latest potion, oil, elixir, ointment, filter, tincture, or tonic? Frog Eyes has the region's widest selection of beetle stings, newt's ears, troll blood, crocodile tears, dragon thorns, fairy wings, gnat warts, horse antennae, jabberwocky breath, and cheese. Hello, 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 and welcome to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. I, as always, am Morris, aka Russ, or Russ, aka Morris, and with me is my robust and rambunctious co-host, Peter Coffey from the Southampton Guild of Roleplayers. Russ has always a complete delight and pleasure to be here with you. So, you've been sailing this week, haven't you, Peter? I have been sailing. It's been awesome. You've been out, what, on the Solent? Yes, yes, um, that stretch of water between Southampton, Portsmouth and the Isle of Wight. Mm. Uh, touched on Yarmouth, uh, Gosport, Cowes, the home of international yachting, and of course Southampton. It's been pretty nice. Radio, so would you like to tell us what has caught your eye in the last week while sailing? What RPG has <laughs> caught your eye as you, uh, you travelled across the Solent? Well, I'll be perfectly honest, it was actually something that I've gone and spent money on. Ooh. I know, right? Uh, Drive Through RPG has got a game called Maze Rats, which I was interested in, and it was three dollars, three pounds. It seems to be the same in sterling and US dollars. I thought, well, why not? It's got good reviews. It's got some excellent advice for how to run games, and uh, it has a big pile of D sixty six tables, which would provide all the random generation stimuli that could possibly. I design. do like a good D sixty six. I know you'd like a good D66 for us. <laughs> I saw it and did think of you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, got some got some nice things. Um, I particularly liked the spell casting ability mm-hmm. because you generate your new spell randomly because if you've got a spell slot and you've used a spell, it's gone forever from your mind, mm-hmm. but you get a new one. Mm-hmm. And you and don't know what it will be. You don't know what it will be. You roll D66. Oh, yeah. And then, and you'll like this bit, I like this bit particularly... The GM will tell you what sort of spell it is from the name of the spell that is randomly generated. <laughs> you can see why that might be close to my heart. Yeah, that does sound quite fun. I might check that out. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I say, it's a Maze Rats from Drive Through RPG. Like three quid. Bargain. Mm, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, what's caught your eye this week, Russ? Well, I have to admit that it's not actually technically an RPG related thing, but there is an RPG of it, which oh. is why I'm claiming it's valid for this segment. It's a it's a tenuous link, but I'll allow it. What's what, what is this thing of which I'm going to give you a clue? That's... Oh, James Bond. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course, uh, your Dulcet Tones were doing a brilliant impression of the Doctor Who theme tune. Yes, indeed. Yes, they were. Uh, yeah, so uh, Doctor Who um, came back to our screens last night. Oh, but there's exciting new uh, developments. There's a female Doctor, I believe. Really. You didn't notice? I didn't notice. No. <laughs> okay, fair enough. No. So, yeah, um, yeah, no, it hit our screens last night. Um, Jodie Whittaker was great. She was fine. Um, mm. I, I wasn't sure what to expect from her because I've seen her in Broadchurch. And while she was great in Broadchurch, I, I kind of struggled translating that character. Even though I realised she's an actor. She plays different characters. Uh, I'm, I'm going I understand to... that's the job definition of an actor. I do understand this, but... <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to invoke the spirit of John Luke Picard, say, acting. <laughs> uh, by which, of course, I mean Patrick Stewart. 
Anyway, anyway that's the only thing I'd seen her in, so I was sort of, you know, that was that was oh. the image in my head of sort of what she was like. Absolutely. Um, no, she was she was great. Mm. Um, I thought the episode itself was um, middling. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm never really that fond of it. You know, like they always do these. Um, the Doctor has amnesia. Oh, for generation episodes. Yeah, yeah. I hate them. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's a strong word. I don't hate them, but I just find, yeah, I just find it's getting a bit repetitive now with every yeah. Doctor having this stupid who am I kind of episode. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I'm um, trying to introduce the character, but it's a Doctor man. It's, well, it's a Doctor woman in this case. <laughs> and it's Doctor Who. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, yeah, so that's that's basically what's caught my eye. I really quite did enjoy that episode. We had a bit of a Doctor Who party here last night, which I've just finished clearing up. Uh, yeah, so that, that's, what's, that's what caught your eye. Yes. Um, also, there's a Doctor Who RPG. There you go. So oh, yeah. it's, it's related to our podcast. Who, who, who did the Doctor Who RPG? That was um, Cubicle 7. It's been around for oh, years now. Yeah, I do quite enjoy the initiative system in um, the Doctor Who RPG. I think we might have mentioned it on the podcast before. I, I, I think I have, I have read it at some point. Was it like, talk, talk me through it. It was like talking first. Talking happens first. Yes. I, I can't remember the exact order. So talking, yeah. running, yeah. doing, fighting, I think. Absolutely. As a, as a four. So everyone who just wants to talk gets to do that first. Yes. Anyone who wants to fight, because it's Doctor Who and yeah. it's generally a non-violent kind of solution to most problems, that happens last. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and certainly um, it does mean you can say one step ahead of the Daleks. Yes, there is that, <laughs> because Daleks aren't so great at the talking, the running or the doing. They're just kind of like the fighting. They're not chatty, are they? It's like, you know, they, they just get an idea in the head and they stick with it. And that's it. Um, so, should we do? Uh, should we have a look at some news? Yes, let's. Let's do some news. Okay. Then. So, in the news, yes, this week, yes. So, Evil Hat Productions, yes, who make the Fate RPG, mm-hmm. uh, is uh, scaling back a lot of their product offering over the near uh, in the near future. Um, so they've done, they've sort of like had this financial review and examined the sales of their product lines, uh-huh. and um, as a result of that, they're sort of postponing or cancelling a whole bunch of products, and they're laying off staff. Mm-hmm. So there's Carrie Harris, who's the head of marketing, and uh, Chris Hanrahan, head of business development, and um, the art director Brian Patterson. They're all leaving the company now. They fired the head of business development. <laughs> yes, that that that's. Okay, that's certainly a decision one can make. Most of their uh, sort of non-role-playing projects, um, they've been put on hold. They've cancelled the Cinder Spires card game, along with the Fate City Toolkit and Fate Infiltration Toolkit. And the Fate Space Toolkit is on hiatus. There's a whole list of um, what's going on with various projects on their website. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's basically, that's basically it. They're just like uh, cutting right down on all their stuff because right. uh, it seems like a lot of lines haven't been doing as well as they hoped. Oh, do you think they might be having a similar problem to Wizard of the Coast back in the... Uh, TSR. Back TSR, in the time, yeah. exactly. Back in the day when they produced all these excellent settings and then nobody was buying enough of one particular setting. Yeah, maybe, maybe. That maybe. might be it. I, I mean, you know, I haven't got any real insight into their business, but uh-uh. um, yeah, maybe. No, absolutely, absolutely. Well, um, well all, all our best to the people at Evil Hat and hope... The uh, things pick up for you. Yeah, I'm sure things will turn around. Yeah. They're a, they're a good, solid publisher. They know what they're doing. Absolutely. And Faith is a very popular RPG. Mm. Hey, so uh, would you like some errata for D&D 5th edition? Oh, errata, my favourite. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> go on, then. What have you got in the way of errata for So, um, it's been a while since there's been any errata for 5th edition, and there is some on its way soon. So, uh, in the next month or so, there's uh-huh. that core um, book gift set which we mentioned on the podcast before. 
Oh, yes, yes. They've all got variant covers. Yeah. Does it yeah. come in a slipcase or am I making yeah, yeah, it up? Yeah. Oh, yes, there we go. There's a picture of it. Oh, that is some lovely art. It's almost Celtic in its not work style on round the edges, I think, on the borders. Mm. Right. Um, to coincide with that, they're releasing um, updated errata documents for the Player's Handbook, Dungeon Master's Guide, and Monster Manual. Um, the uh, Core Book gift set, I think, includes mm. these corrections. Well, I hope so. Yeah, I, I assume so. Um, yeah, so like D&D Calls gift set, it comes out November 13th to the mass market, a bit earlier to the sort mm-hmm. of Play Network game stores. Yeah, and as you said, um, it contains all three core books in a slip case, uh, one hundred sixty nine ninety five for the standard edition, and there's a more expensive exclusive limited edition. Hello, your editor Daryl here with a minor correction. The limited edition covers for the Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition box set are the same price as the regular edition. However, they're only available through hobby stores and not through mass market outlets. So any versions you see on Amazon or other outlets are from game stores or individuals selling them as third-party sellers on the marketplace. Mm -hmm. Uh, Arata for D&D coming very soon your way. I shall look forward to it. It will doubtless provoke a lot of conversation upon the uh, technical forums of Reddit, where dedicated optimizers await your post in order to find out how best to take your terrible character idea and try and make it work in some fashion. <laughs> Alternatively, you could just use the optimization forum at EN World because that's better, because it's mine. Oh, okay. <laughs> we could definitely do that as well. Uh, anyway. I, I, I'll, I'll have to go and try and find it. <laughs> send, send me a link to the thing. I'll, I'll see if I can got anything to say. Hello, your editor Daryl here again with a quick note for Peter. I made it easy for you and added a link to the character optimization forums at EN World to the show notes. So, um, Android Netrunner. Yes. Card game. Yes. Uh, not in publication anymore. Oh, okay. um, but Fantasy Flight uh, are creating uh, a campaign setting for their Genesis system. Oh, yes, yes. That's one where you roll a handful of dice depending upon successes, complications, all read off the dice, yep. which you can't read. Uh, I struggle with them. I agree. I, that's fine. I'm sure that's my problem and not the dice's problem. Absolutely. Except <laughs> uh, responsibility. Don't blame it on dice. Mm, Poor I, workmen. I blame yeah. everything on dice. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, it is their fault. Little plastic bastards. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the Android Universe 256 page book, retail mm-hmm. price of 49.95, currently in development. There's no confirmed release date yet. But it will require the um, Genesis RPG core rulebook in order to play. So it's a strictly a setting rather than a standalone game. Okay, fair enough. And quick question, uh, Netrunner, do you know the basic premise of that? Um, it's a cyberpunky thing, but no, I'm yeah. not super familiar. I think I think it's vaguely that you take the part of one of two teams of essentially cyber hackers, and one is trying to break into a corporation. They're sort of Gibson-esque, Matrix-style invasion, and the other is the local corporate security team, which is saying, uh, no trainers. So that looks like that should be quite interesting, Hmm. uh, potentially. Certainly the game itself is very popular, as CCGs tend to be. Free League and John Ringen have merged. So Free League Publishing, Tales from the Loop. Yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, Mutant Year Zero. Mm-hmm. They've uh, merged with John Ringen, which is another large um, Swedish publisher, mm-hmm. uh, to form one mega Swedish publisher. Um, under the banner of Free League, Free League Publishing, Team John Ringen, they, they're responsible for things like Tales from the Loop, mm-hmm. Simba, uh, 
Simbaroom and Mutant uh, Year Zero. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the combined companies can be bringing out several major game launches in the year to come. And they Fantastic keep news. winning awards and they keep at topping sort of anticipated game of the year lists and all sorts of stuff because they really do produce beautiful, beautiful stuff. So uh, I'm really excited to see what comes out of that. Industry darlings, certainly. Mm. Uh, I have played Simbaroom. It's, it's an interesting game. Mm. Can you tell me anything about it? I only played at a convention. Right. Uh, what we had was a D20-based system, which obviously will have a lot of crossover appeal. Yeah. It seems to be going on a fairly standard fantasy romp. I think probably the most notable thing was I don't think anyone had anything particularly much in the way of magic. Right. Yeah, the setting was <clears throat> fairly interesting. It looked like some sort of magical weapons of mass destruction mm. had been unleashed. Mm. So presumably there's all sorts of plot and details Awaiting in the wings on that. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, I didn't realise it was the same people that did Tales tells the Loop, so that would be worth looking at. So, how would you like a free kickstart for Just Dread and the Worlds of 2000 AD? Oh, boy, would I? You have to pay me for it. Oh, okay. No, you don't really. Right. It's free. Hey, there we go. Who's in the title? <laughs> um, last week, the Just Dread Kickstarter hit 100 thousand pounds what that's crazy about what uh, was that about one hundred and thirty thousand dollars or something like that uh, yeah i think um yeah i think a pound is about one dollar thirty at the moment give yeah. or take but that's an incredible amount of money you must be very pleased i'm very pleased um so as a celebration we released the uh 29 page free kickstart which you can grab over on the um kickstarter site itself and this is uh six pages of rules uh-huh. which really distills down their sort of game system down to its basically simplest form. Okay. Just to describe what an attribute check is, what an attack is, and yeah, yeah. a really simplified version of the combat system. Uh-huh. Uh, it's got four pre-generated characters, uh-huh. and then it's got an adventure called State of the Empire, where you, um, as a team of judges, have to uh-huh. go into the, the old Empire State Building, uh-huh. which um, is derelicts and has been used for dozens of different things over the sort uh-huh. of 200 years since, since present day. Uh-huh. Um, and is currently filled with some sort of vagrants and gangsters and other sort of stuff. And you have to basically clear out the Empire State Building. Wow. That's a big building. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a big building. But you only have to do a couple of floors of it. Oh. Okay. You, you get assigned two floors, two or three floors, and then other judges get, other teams get assigned other. Ah, we do. So you don't have to do the whole thing. That could yes. get a bit repetitive. Oh, that sounds really good. And so what's that's available completely free of charge from the Kickstarter? Yep, page? so it's completely standalone, so you don't need to call a rulebook in order to play it. You can just download that um, as the PDF, 29 pages, and just start playing straight away with the pre-generated characters. Amazing. I mean, it doesn't tell you how to create characters or anything like that. That's, well, you've got some pre-gens. Yeah. And you've got to keep something back. Yeah, exactly. Always leave them wanting more. Right? Exactly. Showmanship, showmanship. Yes. Oh. Uh, right, what else do we have in the news? So, uh, Ravnica... Ah, Uh, Guildmaster's Guide to the the much-awaited magic setting. uh, The imminent Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. Wizards of the Coast Nathan Stewart, they do a a live stream show every week over at Wizards of the Coast. And uh, he showed off the Circle of Spores druid from the book. Now, um, basically, he was on screen and just sort of showed it up to the camera. So (laughs) so, uh, some people got some screenshots. They're a bit, you know, a bit blurry, as you can imagine. (laughs) But essentially, yeah, you can see the um, Circle of Spores Druid here. So that's that's the page here. I'm, I'm, you know, this is really great podcast material here as I show show Peter some text. uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, It's got a fairly classic character design, what people get at 
first and second level. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's got yeah some details. So, uh, yeah, oh, symbiotic entity. That's the sound. Spreading spores. Mm. It's, it sounds like this uh, circle of spores, Drew. It might be a fun guy to play with. Um, so there's a new game from uh, Clarence Red of Frostbite Books, and mm-hmm. it's called Odd Soot. Interesting. Against the black and white backdrop of an alternate 1920s, mm-hmm. players will dive headlong into the mystery of a strange disease known only as the soot. Interesting. So um, the soot appears to be some kind of parasitic disease, but nobody really knows what it is. And it's been like dormant for over 200 years, and it's returned with a vengeance. Oh. Um, so it's an alternate universe, and humanity exists on a planet called... Yorth? Yorth. Yorth. E-O-R-T-H-E. Um, and um, they've already found a way to um, travel through space. Ooh, nice. Using the remains of spacecraft from an ancient civilization called the Illuminarians. Hmm. Um So, yeah, so basically we've got interstellar travel during the 1800s. There's a sort of a character creation process which is similar to the old sort of Palladium titles like uh, Rifts and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Not 100% familiar with the character generation for such things. Um, so in those, so you uh, you have a character concept, yeah, characteristics, mm. uh, attributes and skills, a culture, a career, bonuses, equipment, and circles. Uh, so attributes they're like strength, dexterity, constitution, size, intelligence, that sort of stuff. Um, okay. Three d six. Yeah. Uh, the modifiers to these are die rolls. For example, um, rather than having minus two to a check, you'd have minus one d eight or minus one d six to a check. Okay. Does it reduce your die pool or is it a separate negative dice you roll? It's a separate negative dice you roll. Okay, good then. I think. Okay. Um, <laughs> it uses the uh, uh, Mithras Imperative role-playing system. Um, I've not heard of this system before, but... Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Rings bells. So about 200 pages. Uh, it's like oh, a player's yeah. handbook, GM guide and creature manual all in one. So basically your standard sort of uh, one-book RPG. Nice. Um, yeah, so it's worth, uh, if you want to try something out a little different, I reckon it's worth taking a look at that one. Mm, so that's what Odd Soot from Frostbitten Books. Mm. Well, that's uh, certainly a thing. What else have uh, Frostbitten Books done? M Space, mm-hmm. Odd Soot, and Reflux, which is a scenario for M Space. So M Space looks like it's a science fiction game, also using that Mithras Imperative system. And okay. it's a toolbox containing rules for starship design, combat, alien creation, world generation, all that sort of stuff. So if you're into the Mithras Imperative, this is a very exciting science fiction mm. expansion. There's also on their website, there's a pre, pre-preview of Odd Soot, which is worth taking a quick gander at. Absolutely. Well, free preview, always worth a shot. Yeah, why not? Mm-hmm. How would you like a nice CR27 monster for your D&D game? CR27? CR27. By Jingo, that might take any... Two free rounds of the players. <laughs> well, if such a thing would appeal to you, you might find yourself enjoying Sindrathrax, the okay. Soul Hoarder. Sindrathrax, the Soul Hoarder. Yeah. So over on Insider. Ooh. The oh, e- Patreon. E- is this Ian Insider, the Ian World publishing publication concerned entirely with D and D? Yes, that's the one. Okay. Um. So we've got a uh, ancient red dragon, but it's an ancient necromantic red dragon. Oh. Um, with all these sort of necromantic transformations and things, and uh, she's been forever altered. So she's uh, she's like the size of a regular sort of 
red dragon but she's all gaunt and skeletal and her scales are all now like bone white Mm. um and she radiates this sort of faint spectral glow and what she can do is in addition to all the sort of regular dragon-like abilities Mm -hmm. she's got sort of power over mists and um, she has the ability to sort of suck your soul and consume it and she derives power because she can then these souls that she eats she can Uh spend in order to do Terrible, terrible nasty, things. Nasty things, yeah. Oh, I see, I see, yeah. So. Yes, she's quite lovely. Yeah, well, that sounds like um, definitely on Heifer Dragon. Obviously, it does follow in line with the traditional, the more objectives, the scarier the monster rule of thought, because by my account, that's um, an ancient, undead, necromantic, red, white dragon, <laughs> with dragon leech. There we leech. go. Whichever. <laughs> we did a whole podcast episode on that. We did a whole podcast. <laughs> it could be a like. yeah. It was decided once and for all. <laughs> Absolutely. And so I slept. And I forgot completely about it. That will happen. <laughs> you need your risks. Yeah. It's a, on. Um, there's, a, there's a column going on over at EN World, actually. It's uh, oh, called yeah. Mythological Figures. And it's been going on for, well, I don't know how long, a few months now. Because there's loads and loads of them now. So basically, Mm -hmm. Mike Myler, Mm -hmm. uh, a columnist, each week he writes up a a mythological figure with D&D stats. So it might be King Arthur, or it might Mm -hmm. be Cthulhu, or it might be Merlin, or it might be Robin Hood. Um, So he's done loads of them. Some of them are historical figures, some of them are mythical figures. Tales from folklore, from... Yeah. All over and what, he does, what he also does is he's, he's, he's good in that he sort of covers lots and lots of different countries' mythology as well. So I've just uh-huh. I've kind of called out a lot of the sort of British ones because they're the ones that I'm obviously oh. most familiar with. Absolutely. Uh, but he's got some Indian stuff in there. He's got. Oh, um, really? Like Krishna, Shiva, all that sort of jazz? Uh, he's got Aladdin in there. Uh, Ooh, he's got. Arabian. Um, Strong. Right. And he's working his way through them and trying to sort of vary them so he doesn't just do a whole load of British male mythological figures one after another. That would be um, a little. Uh, the, uh, the one he did this week was. Was actually uh, Queen Boudicca. Oh, um, who got into a fight with the Romans and gave them a kicking. Yeah. Before. Getting a kicking. Yeah. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so you did her recently. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a really great column. I really enjoy it. Oh, okay. So, like, what, she gets, like, multi-attack, throw D3 javelins and... Um, so he started up Queen Boudicca as a uh, fifth-level bard. Sixth level fighter. Okay. Uh, your challenge rating six. Was this Pathfinder? No, it's D and D. Is it? Good edition. Okay. So mm. she inspires her troops and then um, whacks things. What 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 sort of weapon does Boudica use? Spear. Uh, Boudica uses There's spear. All... She has the feet master of the spear. Oh, yeah, nice, she yeah. is a spear person. Uh-huh. She's also a fifth level spellcaster, though, being a bard. Well, you know, which that obviously isn't entirely historically correct, but I guess it's a and d game, so what are you going to do? What, what, what can I say? Sometimes you just need to cast Hypnotic Pattern. That is true. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably it for the news today. It's very exciting. Yeah. Uh, would you like to do our favourite game in all the world? What, Gloomhaven? <laughs> <laughs> that may be your favourite game in all the world. <laughs> I've never played it, so I don't know. Oh, okay. I'm just hoping at the moment. Ooh, so our favourite game in all the world is the game where I tell you the name of a Kickstarter and you try to guess what it is best only on the name. Oh, that is my favourite game in all the world. There we go. I knew well, it's it completely me. logical, consistent and entirely fair scoring system. Exactly. Well, I'm still not sure I believe in the spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah, and some of these things, I'm thinking you've got an SQL query going on. Access database joke. 
always if I, popular if I, if I showed you the spreadsheet, it would cease to exist in a path uh, of logic. Therefore, I've got to keep it from your prying eyes. Uh, but I assure you, it does exist. And it is very, very complex. Those observer effects, man. Mm. They really get you in the end. Mm. Anyway, yes, enough chitter-chatter. Let's crack on. All right, then. The first one. Yes. Are you ready? Born ready. Let's Are do this. Ready? Okay, then. Number one. What yep. is fiends and foes? Fiends and foes. Fiends and foes. Well, I'm going to guess it's a Kickstarter. So well, it's, it's going to be for yeah. some sort of bestiary. Uh, fiends and foes. So maybe, I don't know, a demonic and devil-inspired Kickstarter. And by Kickstarter, I mean bestiary. I don't know why I'm just using the word Kickstarter in place of nouns at the moment. So yes, um, Fiends and Foes, that sounds like some sort of bestiary, potentially for a 5th ed slash Pathfinder system, offering a whole new exciting range of demonic and devilish baddies and associated hangers-on. Okay, I'm going to give you a astonishing score of 5 points out of 11 for that. Okay. Because yes, it is a bestiary, Ooh. in a sense, but I think that was the easy bit. That is easy. Uh, the more complex bit, and it is for 5e or Pathfinder, more specifically, it is for 5e. Shocker. Sorry. Yes. But specifically, this is a, a card deck in the chibi, chibi style artwork. Oh, that don't know if you're familiar yeah, with so that. Yeah, it's so cute. There we go. There's a chibi man um, at all. Uh, so, uh, these are all sort of like standard. Is that a kobold? D- yeah, it's is all that standard D&D monsters. Like, it is the cutest, chubbiest little kobold. Look, look, look at that bugbear there. Look at this little face. I've yeah. never wanted to was a bugbear's little chubby these sheets are actually, before. Now I'm looking at them more closely. I really want these. So basically what yeah. you've got is on the front page, on the front side, you've got a card with yep. a standard D&D monster, like a bugbear or, oh. or something like that. And on the back, yeah. you've got its stats. Nice. And these are just like, these aren't new monsters, they're all standard yeah, cards. No, these are all straight out of the monster manual. Yeah. But it's just like a little really cute, like a wizard spell card, but it's like a reminder for yeah. the And oh, these are tarot great. card size, so a bit larger than playing cards. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Really gorgeous, I love them. And so there's four decks, mm-hmm. and each has 40 cards. Mm-hmm. The decks are divided by um, challenge rating, so the mm-hmm. first deck um, is uh, Save the Farm from Cobalt, oh, Sturges, Norms, yeah. uh, Orcs, all that sort of stuff. Then we've got uh, deck two is Save the Town from Ank Eggs and Ogres mm-hmm. and Were Rats and Whites and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. The next yeah. one is Save the City from Air Elementals and Hill Giants and Wraiths and um, Hydras, mm. that sort of thing. Yeah. And the uh, fourth deck is Save the Realm. Um, oh. From dragons and treants and uh, from your big argorables like uh, adult black dragons and all that. Yeah, sort of marvelous storm giants and vampires. Nice. And uh, yeah, there's a whole set of example cards here. Yeah, if we just go back a bit, did I see? Oh, and there's a wild shape deck as well. Ooh. Yes, oh, it's that's one a... of their stretch goals. Oh. So it's a wild shape deck. Uh, can... oh. Yeah, it says uh, for that particular deck, yeah. um, the contents are still under consideration, but there'll be a wide variety of animal types from CR0 to CR6. Now, I know you don't approve of stretch goals, but I don't imagine... I mean, the pro- I do the approve of stretch goals, I just don't yeah. use them myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely, because you'd like to have the product already yeah. before it goes out. But in this particular case, I don't... The, the problem would mostly be getting the art done and approved, really. Well, it looks like all the art's done. Look at it. Look at all this. Mm. <laughs> this hobgoblin that looks just like a <laughs> giant baby rust monster. Oh, it's eating a little shoe. Oh, these are, these are these are fantastic. I love them. I absolutely oh, love them. I, just, I, I literally 
want them. Um, there's yeah. also a collector's edition coffee table book of them as well. It looks like. Ah. Um, but now I don't want the book. I want the cards. I want the cards. I know they are. They look fantastic. They, they they do lose a certain intimidation factor. I won't mm. lie. But they're sort of I think the only the only problem with them is I think it'd be better if they didn't have the name on them on the front uh-uh. because if you want to hold the card up to show someone you see this. Uh-uh. You don't necessarily want the name emblazoned in great big writing on the front of the card. Yeah, yeah, you could. I don't know. You could cover it up with your thumb or something, I suppose. But yeah, or oh, I don't know, something clever involving. I think I would have just kept the name to the back. I think. Yeah. But still, anyway. Well, well, it's choice. Anyhow. It's choice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next one. Yes. Next one. Next one is. Uh-huh. What is Age of Myth, the Ancient World Supplement? Hmm. Presumably, there's a role playing game called. Age of Myth, and this is a supplement which is set, I don't know, in the ancient world. So that'd be like your classical things like ancient Rome, Greece, Persia, Carthage, all that sort of jazz. Yeah, myths and legends. Okay. Well, um, yeah, sort of, that was kind of a fairly easy one, except um, Age of Myth isn't the name of the game, it's just the name of the book. Um, It's actually a supplement from 5th edition. Oh, well, there you go. So it's a supplement from 5th edition called. Age of Myth, Ancient World Supplement. Goodness, that's interesting. There mm. was wasn't there just recently um, Arcadia, which was a successfully funded. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was only a few weeks ago. Wasn't yeah, it? That, yeah, yeah, it was Greek Greek myths. And yeah, so this one's ancient Greek themes. Um, Ninety page hardcover mm-hmm. um, includes new race options, including the uh, or- Orthochthones. Uh, uh, the. Orthocathones. Is that how you pronounce that? The satyroi. I, 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 you know what? I think it might be autocathones rather than orthocathones. Uh, and cathone basically means just like, you know, because okay. cave, child guy, uh, satyroi. So it's like, uh, like half human, half goat. Myrmidons, which are yeah, ants, ants transformed by a god of war into human soldiers. Mm. And uh, the uh, Sinocephali. Yes. Uh, dog and dog? jackal-headed invaders of the yeah. sea and desert, as well as centaurs okay. and monitors, plus his class options, magic items, and some mini adventures and stuff. Mm. That sounds quite exciting. But um, even more exciting is some mm. of the stretch goals, uh, additional books oh. from the ancient world. Um, Egypt is mm-hmm. next up. Ooh. That's a lot um, of extra cards. That's the only stretch goal that they've announced at the time of me reading this now. Mm-hmm. Um, presumably, on hopefully there'll be more, possibly Rome or something like that after that. But right now, it's Egypt is uh, next up uh, with four new races, three new classes, fifteen extra monsters, and twenty-five new magic items, and five more backgrounds. I love these. Um, I love these supplements that just give you a list of numbers of things they've got in it. Absolutely. <laughs> we don't. We're not saying what they are. They might be like ninety of the same creature, mm. with a slightly different head. I mean, to be fair, I wouldn't particularly want a Roman supplement because, like, the Romans were many things, but they were not gifted myth makers. <laughs> and well, they, they Persian, it, well, absolutely, it was like that. It, in many ways, it was much like the British Empire. It went well, across we'll the world I mean, saying, who knows? We'll, it's we'll, nice, we'll have it. We'll find out what happens with the Kickstarter stretch goals. Well, so I see there it's funded in 12 hours. Yeah. So, good to go. Well done then. Moving swiftly on. Moving swiftly on. RPG Stamps. Um, RPG stamps. Mm, well, RPG stamps. I'm going to guess it's got uh, it's a collection of rubber stamps. Potentially self-inking if the boat is all the way out, or using some forms of ink pads, and it will be like what well, I put on a RPG stamp. I don't know, hilarious RPG related trivia or something. Okay, where well, you memes. get one thousand and one point five points for that. Out of 
1,002. Ah, wow. Well, my best gorgeous. <laughs> it is, it's not bad. Yeah. Um, so, no, you're pretty much exactly spot on. So you basically get these uh, rubber stamps and they've got mm. things like cause of death, quest complete, you yeah. have survived, that sort of thing, R.I.P. That seems a little harsh. And you just uh, stamp them on the character sheet. <laughs> so your, your character dies, you get this cause of death stamp. Positive. I think it's quite fun. <laughs> Failure to spot a walk. <laughs> mm. uh, so they're about they're five centimeters by five centimeters. That's two by two inches. Yeah. And they come pre-inked in a choice of colors. You can have black, blue, red, and pink. Mm. Uh, uh, yeah. There we go. Two inches. About. Yeah, they're quite large. That actually, isn't it? That's going to take a lot of real estate. Yeah. Actually, okay. Yeah. I guess if you count it's dead, as it matters. No, 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 no. The final one. Uh, bah, bah, bah. Boss fight. Lex Arcana. Nice. An empire without end. Oh, well, I'm going to say Lex Arcana. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Would be a magic law. So it's going to be about an empire consist. Oh, like. Compare and contrast with Pax Romana, the Roman peace. So the Lex Arcana will be the magic law. It's the law that this group of wizards who've taken over the world have applied to people and said, this is where it is now. Uh, suck it up and see. So, wow, that's amazing. Is that, is that what Lex means, law? I know Pax is rule, isn't it? Pax is peace. Is it? Yes. Oh, okay. Roman okay. peace. Okay, so it's Lex. Um, pretty, pretty sure it's... Pretty sure it's law, but it's also from the same root as word. Maybe it's magic word. I'm just completely wrong. I don't know. Maybe uh, it's lexicon just, maybe would be it's a list of words. So I guess yeah, it's magic word. Maybe it's just Luther. I don't know. Luther. Lex Luther. Look, Chris. <laughs> anyway, right, I'll tell you what this is because Go you ahead. are wrong. It oh. is Roman. Okay. Uh, Roman imperial legions clash with barbaric hordes on the field of battle, okay. while ancient monsters, mystical powers, and nameless cults. Threaten the rule of the Caesars. With I'm curious about how a nameless cult works. I don't know. Must make advertising. When they're talking to each other about the cult, I mean, what? Are you? They must use a word to refer to it, and by definition, that word is the name of the cult. Are you down the? You know where? Yeah. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Say no more. Say no more. (laughs) See you on Saturday night. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah. don't mind if I do. Have you have you got your gear ready? Oh, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yeah. All nicely ready. Yeah. Definitely time getting the stains out from last time. Mm. Um, yeah, like an Australian Colton. So what this is is mm. um, it was a it's a it's an RPG. It yeah. was originally published in '93 in Italy. Okay. Uh, yeah. And uh, the designers of that 1993 version have reunited for this new edition in uh, English, as opposed to presumably Italian. Uh-huh. Or Latin, maybe it was in Latin. That would be awesome if it had been in Latin. Seems unlikely. It seems unlikely, but I, you know, what? I would actually, if someone published an RPG in Latin, I'd probably buy it just for the novelty. You heard it here first. Russ will literally buy RPGs. He cannot read. <laughs> no, not all RPGs I cannot read. Just Latin RPGs. One Latin RPG I cannot What's read. What's wrong with German RPGs? You, you can't read those either. I can't. But German's not quite as cool as Latin. It's true. Latin does have a cachet. Mm. As the previous lingua franca, which is a phrase meaning French language, <laughs> <laughs> which of course, which is of course English, <laughs> which is something that I will at some point explain to my English to foreign language students because they will love that. I'm sure they will. They won't. Anyway, moving on. Okay, yeah. I think that's yeah. it for um, the favourite game in all the world this week. Ah, oh, say you did so. very well, apart from the bits where you didn't do very well. Those bits you did very poorly in, but there are some bits where you did very well, and I'm very proud of you for that. 
Sass pass, form sass. I'm always tempted to pat you on the head in a very condescending manner. <laughs> You're squinting at me now. <laughs> Apparently Russ doesn't know what a baleful glare is. <laughs> is that what that was? A baleful glare. Yes. Well, it's what my wife keeps giving me. So it from there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, moving swiftly on. Stop! Who would cross the bridge of death must answer me these questions. Uh, the other side, he see. Ask me the questions, bridgekeeper. I am not afraid. What is your name? Arthur, King of the Britons. What is your quest? I search for the Holy Grail. And what is the speed of an unladen swallow? Approximately 24 miles per hour. Oh, I didn't think you'd get that one. Very well. What is the distance from the Earth to the Sun? Uh, 93 million miles, give or take, depending upon the time of year and the exact position of the Earth's orbit. Hmm. What is the chemical symbol for lead? PB, which is from the Latin plumum. Hmm. What is the name of the ancient Aztec god of rain? Hmm. You ask hard questions, Bridgekeeper. I believe it to be Tlaloc. Hmm, correct. Very well. What is the name of the winner of the Best Picture Oscar in 1968? In the heat of the night. The height of Mount Olympus. Well, Mount Olympus in Greece is on the order of 2,918 metres, whereas Mount Olympus on Mars is a good 16 miles high. The inventor of chlorofluorocarbons. Why, the same man has invented leaded petrol. Thomas Midgley died in a terrible contraption of his own devising, which he meant to use to adjust his bed. Interesting. The inventor of the printing press. Gutenberg. Hmm, it seems I must make these questions more difficult. Very well. What are the names of all seven dwarfs? From the 1937 animated Disney film, Grumpy, Happy, Sleepy, Bashful, Sneezy, Dopey and Doc. What are the names of the planets of the solar system? Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus and Neptune. You also have dwarf planets, Pluto, Ceres, Hormia, Makimeki and Eris. That is just merely my feeble understanding of the matter. What is the number of questions that I have asked you today? Oh, uh, about ten or twelve, I think. <laughs> ah! Okay, so today, Peter, you wanted to talk a bit about creating characters. Yes, yes. It's a sort of thing that generally GMs and so forth leave to people to get on with. Mm -hmm. But really, it's not the sort of thing that you really want to have done in isolation. Well, I personally, 
enjoy including it as part of session zero because mm. I find character creation to be quite a sort of fun group activity, Absolutely. especially if you create characters where you've assumed that the characters know each other. Oh. So you can sort of tie in different elements of their characters to each other, oh, yeah. which I always find quite good fun. Absolutely. Uh, that, that sounds like a really good way to do it. And also it means the GM is there so he can sort of offer a couple of tips as to what sort of characters might be appropriate or yeah. as people make their characters, at least he's very, very aware of what characters are going to be in this thing rather than, you know, they turn up on a Thursday night with a bunch of fully made characters and... <laughs> you know, any GM worth his salt, obviously that doesn't matter. But, you know, still, knowing knowing in advance exactly what you're dealing with definitely gives you a slight advantage in running the game, I think. Oh, absolutely. I mean, for a start, you can tailor your adventure to make sure that you're providing challenges that lets the spotlight shine on yeah. all of your characters. So if you include that as part of your session zero... And to be honest, if it's a brand new game that your players haven't played before anyway, you're probably going to have to do that with them anyway. Uh-huh. The, the whole idea of people going off and doing it by themselves pretty much assumes they know the game. Absolutely. Or, like some of my um, Thursday night players, you just tell them the game and they learn it in about two seconds and then <laughs> create incredibly optimised characters and turn up with them the following week knowing the system far better than you do, which is always fun, but still. <laughs> I mean, would you ever make characters for a campaign game? Uh, probably wouldn't for a campaign for a one shot absolutely free generated characters are very useful for that sort of thing especially if you're talking convention play or something like that and you introduce people to a new game like uh, the Just Dread quick starter and most quick starts have pre generated characters in them just because you know on on a one shot you probably don't want to waste all that time but it's not very quick depends on the game I think some games it is very quick but uh, Mm -hmm. yeah it depends but um, generally speaking uh, characters for one shots are also kind of tailored towards that particular adventure. So you mm-hmm. already know that the party has the right mix of skills and abilities that is that is needed. Mm-hmm. So there's various different ways to have characters be generated. One can have classes or one can have a sort of a points by system. Yeah. Which, which do you favour? Oh, but there are so many ways of doing it. I mean, that's uh-huh. just two. There's so, so many ways of doing it. Um, mm-hmm. But... Uh, Classes are very, very useful because they immediately give you an archetype and tell you yeah. what this character is. Mm-hmm. And while they, that does mean, obviously, it can be limiting mm-hmm. by, by definition, and sometimes limiting choices is a good thing because yep. paralysis for choice is never, you know, it's, if, you, oh. if, you, if you just end up with a whole bunch of people trying to choose from so many different options, they, they don't come up with anything coherent or focused. Mm. Whereas with, uh, with character classes... Yeah. You've already got that bit of the work done for you. It's much harder to make a mistake when you're generating from a class than it is if you just have a free choice. Yeah, and also sort of with very, very broad um, school-based systems, there is also a danger of people coming up with fairly bland characters Mm. without any particular focus to them. And Mm. I think, I always think an RPG character, although it doesn't have to be super optimised all the time, depending Mm -hmm. on the game, certainly needs to have some kind of focus or hook Mm, like a storytelling focus. well yeah also a sort of ability based one as well just so you kind of know this is the guy that can do this sort of thing sort of, sort of a niche specialization. yeah I mean you know like the A-team you've got the face and you've got mm-hmm. um, BA's the muscle and yeah. um, Hannibal's the planner and yeah. um, Murdoch's the pilot for example yeah and BA's the mechanic too but, exactly, yeah. Yeah, you kind of, while you don't need to sort of optimise them, it's not like any of them are like the best in the world at doing their particular things. Mm-hmm. At least you know what their role in the team is, for example. Oh, absolutely. Like having a purpose in being there. Yeah. 
Yeah. Help, helps them fit in. Uh, avoiding duplication of roles. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, D&D does that perfectly well. I mm. mean, the traditional D&D classes, of course, going back, are just mm. the, the core four. Yeah. So you've got your fighter, yeah. you've got your cleric, you've got your wizard or mm. magic user, yeah. or whatever um, it's called in whichever iteration of D&D you're playing, mm-hmm. and your thief strat slash rogue. Mm-hmm. And that basically covers your fighting, your healing... Yeah, it's sort of generic spell casting and just sneaky trapping. And you're nicking stuff. Yeah, and you're door picking and stuff. And that, Ooh, that yeah. covers the sort of broader sort of things that a traditional dungeon crawly D&D game is ever going to particularly need. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. With these, it's important to get all your players together because then they can decide amongst themselves. Where, where do you stand on backgrounds? How much background do you get from your players? Uh, depends on the game, depends not a lot to be fair um and i'm okay with that i mean i do know that some people do like to write extensive backgrounds for their characters that's Uh fine um i if they do do that i'll definitely try and incorporate that into the campaign Uh that you know some people just aren't into into that or don't have the time Uh and and that's fine too i mean things like backgrounds in D &D pretty much do that again Uh for you in a very very simple way oh you mean like the not quite the class features but things like a criminal or sailor things that give yeah, you bonus back, yeah, backgrounds yeah um yeah i mean that's a very 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 simple implementation of rather than sort of writing an essay uh, uh, it just gives you a little sort of conceptual hook as to who this character is without making any big broad mechanical sort of changes yeah uh one of the things i've seen in other games is stuff like 13th ages one unique thing mm. that's yes really yeah. strong isn't it so, yeah it's a kind of idea that yeah yeah, I did enjoy that. Yeah, the idea being, if you haven't seen it, that there is something that is true about your character and your character only in the entirety of this world that you've created. For example? Well, uh, ones that I have seen are Can Talk to Spiders. Mm-hmm. Is the only elf with round ears, not pointed. Okay, that's a slightly more obscure one, but okay. It's, it's obscure, but it's legit. Uh, it's yeah. like... No, it's a, it's a brilliant, brilliant idea. Um, yeah, 13th Age has got a lot going for it, and that is one of my favourite things about it. Mm. Other things you can do, of course, is um, sort of career-based systems, mm-hmm. which develop your background as you go. Mm-hmm. So the first ones that ever did that were Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay and I mm-hmm. think Traveller um, both, both did that early on. What would you say the difference between a class-based system and a career-based system is? So a career-based, so a class-based system gives you a track to follow for your entire. I mean, you can oh. ignoring multi-classing, which complicates it. Gives you a track to follow. So you are going to be a rogue, and you're going to yeah. get better at roguing all the way through your career, and eventually mm-hmm. you're going to be a very, very top-tier rogue. Top-tier rogue. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's what a class-based system does. It focuses you, gives you an archetype, and you. Go from zero to hero within that archetype. Uh-huh. Uh, for a career-based system, it's more realistic as it's and not that realism is necessarily a goal of RPGs, mm. but um, if, if if you are after realism, you, you need uh, a certain amount of yeah realism to promote yeah. immersion. I think so. Uh, with a career-based system, you might choose sequential careers. So mm. you could sort of say I uh, started off as a I I don't know a farmhand. Uh-huh. And then I had joined the militia for six years, mm. uh, but unfortunately I was caught stealing um, and I ended up in prison for another six years. Mm. And when I escaped, I was a drifter for a couple of years before I finally got a job as a bartender or a rat catcher or a, uh, became a mercenary or whatever. Oh. Um, and each of these different career building blocks, A, build up your character's past. Yeah. So you've got a, a 
pre-written sort of background in the past. But also, each one gives you, depending on the system, um, incremental advances to your character. Uh, so you... Uh, uh, just picking a career system that obviously I'm very familiar with without mm-hmm. wanting to sort of trump my own stuff constantly but oh, yeah. obviously what's old is new users one mm-hmm. um, each career as you take it you start play you start play with five careers mm-hmm. uh, each career will give you uh, some attribute bonuses mm-hmm. uh, some skill bonuses and a one exploit which is special ability mm-hmm. and so as you take each career you just layer those on top of each other mm-hmm. and then what, what you've got at the end is your final character Oh. So essentially, you know, career-based career, career um, based systems are very simple generally because, oh. you know, each career is a much, much smaller building block than a classes. Oh. It's, it's more like just like one level of a class almost, I suppose. And um, oh. they build on top of each other. Okay. I, uh, I, I've always loved them. Um, That's why, why I use them in my game and uh, I've loved them since um, Woofrup did it, since Traveller did oh. it. Great, great way of building characters. I quite like very like you. You remember the game Dread, the Jenga Tower game. Mm, um, yes, game Dread. So basically, um, character creation for Dread is to answer some questions that the GM has set you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and little question there. Yeah, little yeah. question there. And uh, I remember my first experience of Dread was um, the game was um, run by a friend. I was over at Gen Con at the time. Mm-hmm. Was it? at his house after gen- I can't remember anyway I was over in the US at the time yeah. and one of the questions and it worked so well and he asked this of all um, the questions questions can be different per person can mm-hmm. be different per game basically it's up to the GM and he did do that but uh, one question was on everybody's little questionnaire mm-hmm. and uh, it was how did you get those shoes mm, just a question like that and it was such a brilliant question because people <laughs> came up with such different answers as to how they got those shoes absolutely um one person said um these are the shoes that i uh wore when i was in the army um i think they're mm. lucky these boots they're lucky because um mm. you know i survived all the way through world war Two, and um uh, now i wear them all the time yep. um another one it was um a woman and she says um these uh these red pumps i uh had to knock out a prostitute who was trying to um mug me and oh. uh, I decided to take her shoes in a dark alley. And, you know, it was, you know, you, you come out with all these totally, totally different character backstories mm. just based on that one single question. As, especially for Dread, where there is no character background generated. Exactly. You're sort of getting that instant buy-in, really, aren't yeah. you? Yeah, it's fine. That was, that was good fun. Another one I quite like was uh, the old Ghostbusters RPG. Oh, yeah. Where each character fits on a credit card-sized thing. Oh, so it's very small for characters, yeah, yeah. isn't it? So uh, basically, you have four stats, and if I can remember what they are, one was cool, mm-hmm. one was moves, one was brains, it was like brains or smarts or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, and one was a physical one. It might have been brawn or something like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, four stats. Yeah, uh, it's basically, yeah, and they'd have a score like three or four or something in four stats, mm-hmm. and then each of those abilities, um, those four things, you'd also have a specialization. Mm-hmm. So you might have, I don't know... Intelligence, proton pack repair. Yeah, yeah, or something. And in that... So basically, you roll the number of dice that was the stat. Mm-hmm. So, for example, with intelligence... If, uh, so brains, I think, was the uh, the ability score. Mm-hmm. Um, you might have um, brains three. Mm-hmm. So anything brains-related, you'd roll 3d6. Okay. But if it was your special skill, which is proton pack repair, and mm-hmm. you have one for each of the raw stats, mm-hmm. um, you add three to that. So you'd roll 66 instead. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I quite like that. And that's basically, that's basically the entire character. It's just these four things. You couldn't die in that game. You didn't really have, no. have to worry about an awful lot of stuff. Yeah. 
little credit card in your child character. Well, that's actually a really interesting thing. I mean, talking about user interfaces mm. is something that I think could well be the next big thing in role-playing games. Mm. Well, I think the character sheet's not a bad user interface. It's been around for 40 years. It's, mm. yeah. you know, it, it, it works pretty well. But uh, Absolutely. And it's often it's the first thing that a new player to your game will see. Yeah, so that is true, yeah. It, so, I mean... I think you, character you, you, sheets... You design character sheets. Um, what, what sort of user experience? Uh, do you I, think well, about? I don't tend to design them myself. I sort mm. of tell a layout person what needs to be on them. Mm-hmm. And they come up with different sort of designs depending on the... Well, basically, I always feel the character sheet's got to be thematically correct to, and, and, oh, and, and evoke the feeling of the game you're playing. So, for example, if you're playing some kind of, I don't know, uh, spy game, your character sheet might look like a typewritten intelligence dossier, oh. you know, with sort of like yellow paper and type, uh, sort of courier font oh. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you're playing a... So it looks uh, like an old document. Yeah. If you're playing a sci-fi game, it's got more futuristic fonts yeah. and maybe like a sort of pseudo circuit board imagery. Yeah. Or as a superhero game. game, it should be bold and colourful and, you know, things like that. So that, I think that basically... It's a scream kapow at you. Because if you think about it, that's your, that's your player's gateway into mm. this world it's this this one sheet of paper you put in front of them or they if it's just them. one sheet of paper then you're lucky indeed yeah well yeah but that's their, that's their portal yeah. into this world so yes. that has to look the part I always feel yes because it's so useful and putting them in the right frame of mind yeah uh, but where, what about like where you place information is that something you ever considered yeah I mean you basically you put more useful information up near the top and make it bigger mm. more commonly used information there uh, yeah. There was there's a, quite a lot of games that include um, elements of character generation on the character sheet, mm-hmm. which I think possibly confuses matters a little. Yes. Like, um, I'm trying to think of some examples. Um, like uh, the old FASA games, they used to have these little boxes you tick off as you went through various <laughs> careers and stuff. Mm-hmm. But they were all doing character generation and had no purpose whatsoever yeah. once you started the game. But they were there taking up a third of the character sheet. Wow, that's a lot of space. Yeah, and you could use that space for something else. And, or, and the old White Wolf games, they also had, it costs X to do this. But that was also for experience as well. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't entirely offbeat as mm. well. One great way of character creation, which I quite like, which mm-hmm. I've seen before, and which um, I was just reminded of not that long ago by uh, Ryan Nock, who's a game designer. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's uh, designing an adventure called uh, Waking Nightmares. Mm-hmm. He's got this group of, it's a sci-fi adventure, and mm-hmm. you come out of um, cyber sleep. I'm coming towards the end of your voyage where something's gone wrong uh-huh. and you've come out too early and you've lost all your memories. Ooh. So you basically come out with a blank character sheet. Uh-huh. And basically you generate your character throughout the adventure as you regain memories, which I thought was a very clever one. And because the game he was using basically on was a career-based system, uh-huh. um, it was very much designed to do that. So basically every sort of few sort of scenes in the, um, in the adventure, a, a, a character would remember another career he'd have or she mm. had, and um, her skills would increase Filled a little it. bit in these things. Oh, and she said, actually, I do know how to pick locks, and, you know, and that sort of thing. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the memories, sort of like the Doctor. Um, ah, and the, the doctor regeneration. Has that, yeah, post-regeneration right. thing. There we go. Call back, spun it right round. It was totally relevant. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, and suddenly remembers, like the Doctor was like remembering she had these skills and she could build stuff and she could do this oh, and do that. Yeah. Yeah, that seems pretty strong. And that's, that's a way of sort of uh, organically creating a character mm. while playing, which I think is quite fun, especially for a new player, that could be fun. Oh, absolutely. 
See, that's that's the interesting thing is when you mm. um when you're playing a sort of D twenty based game, so you're playing Pathfinder or D anD D or something yeah. like that. Um, certainly in my experience anyway, um, mm-hmm. you'd always get this spark where, okay, we're going to play, we're going to play Pathfinder next week. So everyone will go, oh, cool. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so then they'll go, right. So what's everyone playing? I mean, uh, I'm, I'm happy to play the cleric if someone wants to play the, the, uh. the, the fight. And it's like people already know in advance what these sort of roles are, not necessarily the exact classes they're going to use, but yeah. the basic sort of roles that need to be filled. They know that they're going to need a healer. Yeah. They know they're going to need a caster. They know they're going to need someone who can fight uh-huh. and stuff like that. They're, they're sort of like almost because previously we had like, you know, fighty man, magic man, healy man. Well originally it was fighting man, wasn't it? Fighting no. man <laughs> and magic user were the uh were the, the original tasks, yeah. Yeah. Fighting man, magic user, thief and I guess it was cleric, was it back then? I can't remember. Yeah, but but well certainly by the time we got on to Furthead you needed a cleric, you needed a rogue, you needed a fighter, and you yeah. needed a wizard. So, yeah, certainly and, in those games, people are... Those, those were what you had. People are claiming the slots, as it were. Yeah, Exactly. And then something kind of strange happened. You had uh, uh, online role-playing games like World of Warcraft, where mm. you had guilds, and then these new concepts come in, like tanks and... Well, they're just names for archetypes, aren't they, essentially? They're, to, to, to they're roles... Yeah, they they are they are roles, but it's sort of it's a it's a sort of a shift in focus, and mm. certainly with things like fifth ed, because well, different different classes can fulfil the same role. Well, 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 the same class can fulfil different roles. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like for example, thematically, one could have a party of say dwarves, mm. and that's fine, and they can all be different classes. But something that a lot of people don't really think about is you could also have a party of say bards mm. or even fighters. And the different subclasses that people would then choose mm. would actually be still able to fill these yeah. things, like yeah. you know, damage per round. Well, they're quite to the same extent the different classes yeah. would, but but yeah, certainly that is true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not everyone's going to be as good at doing everything as others. Yeah, but certainly things like giving temporary hit points, mm. uh, being inspiring. So that's that is interesting though that the sort of D and D family of games do come at it from that angle, and that yeah. they they. Players always come saying, right, now we're creating a group of adventurers. We know that these basic slots have to be filled in yes. some manner. Whichever iteration mm. of the game we're using and whichever sort of exact mechanics we're using, we basically need these different sort of slots to be filled. Oh, absolutely. Whereas other games, that doesn't happen at all. For example, if you're playing Call of Cthulhu, yeah. that's, that conversation doesn't even come into play. You just try to come up with an interesting character and then you kind of base it around that. I think possibly because there's like less combat as sport. Yeah. In Call yeah. of Cthulhu. Yeah. Um, yeah, combat in Call of Cthulhu is quite the um, short lived effect. It, you've done something wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and that would be eaten by a brew. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think that's a problem that I can't run into with sci fi games is that people say, I want to drive something. Yeah. You then have to start looking for opportunities to find things for them to drive. Yeah. I mean, generally speaking, in a tabletop role playing game, being on a vehicle with someone driving it tends to be problematic. A lot of mm. games don't handle that mechanically super well. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I tend to find, so... There, there, there really needs to be something for everyone to do, mm. because otherwise, if there's any conflict or there's a chase or something, people are going to... You, you don't want people to be, like, sitting there helpless. Yeah. Because that removes yeah. player agency. Well, that's one of the problems that Starship Combat often has in mm. sci-fi games. Yeah. In uh, each player needs to not only have something to do, it also needs to not just be make work. Mm. 
you, yeah, yeah. the game yeah, doesn't just sat down and just try to think of something to make the player do for the sake of doing something. It's got to be important. And that's where the game aspect comes in. Yeah. Like they've got to have something meaningful to do. Yeah. Otherwise, it's, they won't feel that they're contributing because yeah. they're not. Essentially, <laughs> they're just being kept busy. Uh, yeah, that's something like potentially where things like powered by the apocalypse could help because they're so rules light. Mm. If you do anything, you make a role successfully. You could like change the game to give an advantage. Yeah, yeah. And just interpret it. But I feel that like puts a lot of work on the GM and the players to interpret the fiction. Mm. Whereas if you've got like more concrete options, if there are rules, mm. that lets you do things with those. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Anyway, I think we've probably talked all we can about character creation for today. Uh, I'm sure we could go into stats, but yeah, I think in broad strokes, we've got a lot of stuff well, done. Go into stats if you want to go into stats. Let's not. Sorry, All right, let's not go into stats. <laughs> <laughs> let's avoid the stats at all costs. Absolutely. All right. Your editor Daryl here to remind you about our Patreon at patreon.com slash Morris. Every week, the day after the episode goes live, we post an exclusive outtakes and deleted scenes episode that just won't stop growing this week's is going to be well over half an hour yet again with more character creation tips and discussions including more about party roles different character generation methods evil and amoral parties and more plus more of captain peter's adventures on the high seas russ's dog tries to get in on the show an impromptu review of the venom film and a lot more you can get access to all of the outtakes and deleted scenes episodes and help keep the show going over at patreon.com slash Morris. Uh, so, um, I think we're probably done for today. Should we wind it up? If you are enjoying this podcast, please tell your friends. Hmm. Simple as that. Recommend Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. It would really, really help, actually, if you could leave a review on iTunes. Absolutely. Um, that really helps with the visibility of the show. And also, if you could pop over to Facebook, there's the Facebook group where you can chat oh. about episodes, answer polls, so we can find out more about you and how we should be sort of toning our, our episodes. It turns out we actually did do a poll on Facebook. And, um, yeah, there we go. Shall I just read, read this bit out, then? So oh, people can find out about themselves. Yeah. There we go. Uh, we we, we want to make our up. show more of what you want to listen to. Um, so yeah, we did ask on Facebook um, how long people had been gaming for, just so we could get a sort of a uh, sort of idea as to whether we were talking to sort of old school mm. gamers, whether we are, whether our listeners tended to be newbies and stuff like that. The results are interesting. It seemed that nobody who answered the poll had uh, been gaming for less than three years. Mm-hmm. Most of the people who answered the poll have been gaming for over twenty years. So we've got four, five, six, seven. People uh, 31 That's plus years. 10. 7, 8, 9, 10, 20 years plus. So, yeah, it looks like basically our listenership does tend to skew towards the more experienced gamer, which is interesting. Um, but I'd really like to sort of hear if there are any of you out there that who are who are newbies to gaming, who have been gaming for less than a couple of years. And if so, if you could pop over to the Facebook group and just sort of like drop a note, it would just be really interesting just to see. Yeah. Um, if you, or just drop us an email at the podcast email address. Oh, yeah, you can always drop us emails out at uh, morrispodcast at gmail.com with reviews of recent products or other comments or anything like that. If you're interesting, you might get read out on air. It seems quite likely that we do so. Yes. Um, right, so I think we're probably done for today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So thank you very much for listening. Um, this will be me, Russ, signing off. That's goodbye from him. And it's goodbye from you. Yeah.
Bye bye. What? What? Oh, is it over? I was taking a nap because they were so boring. I think I'll probably torture Russ a bit this evening just to amuse myself. Maybe the rack. I'm sure I'd enjoy stretching him out a bit until his bones crack. Maybe it'll improve his terrible posture.